we're going through a, a series on Isaiah 9, verse 6. First slide up. I've uh, stolen Rich's slides, <laughs> or at least the first few. <laughs> I've used his straw-colored background, uh, and uh, we're going to carry on in the series. Now, do you remember what we were looking at and uh, what, what last week's talk was on? It was about wonderful counsellor. So we're going to look at Isaiah 9, verse 6 together. Let's, let's just read this through uh, together. Yeah, let's read it together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's just read that once more. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How well do you know that now? <laughs> Let's try again. <laughs> For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and, and oh, wonderful counts. Fantastic. Fantastic. Verse 7 says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And of course, this verse is talking about Jesus. Now, this study that we're doing on Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 uh, follows on from a study that we did on the names or character of God, where we looked, I think it was uh, started in the summer, where we looked at eight different um, characters of God. And um, you know, things like the Lord is my banner and the Lord is my healer and so on. And the, the reason why we're doing this is that we want to know what God is really like. You know, it says in Genesis that God made man in his, in his own image. Um, but we have a tendency to make God in our own image, or at least the image that we want. So we, we end up inventing uh, a God who we're most comfortable with, or the, the one that appeals to us. And that actually, if we do that, that's a, a form of idolatry. It doesn't involve actually the, the casting of a, um, of a figure or anything like that. But we're actually making an image of God that isn't the real true God. It's the God that we'd like, him, like to be. So we, as far as possible, we want to actually learn uh, what God is like in the way that he reveals himself to us through his word. Uh, and, and also in the way that he's revealed himself through Jesus. So we don't also want to just go through a mental exercise so it goes into our 
minds, into our brains, but also um, that these truths about God go deep down, that they, they get down to heart level. So, Lord, as we apply ourselves to the treasures of your word today, please do not let this just be a mental exercise, but, Lord, I pray that it would affect our hearts. Yeah, write your word on our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if last week's talk was on Wonderful Counselor, this one, of course, is on Mighty God. Um, and so the, <coughs> the Hebrew for Mighty God is El Gibor. The El bit is a bit like El Shaddai, which is the way that God revealed himself to uh, Abraham in Genesis 17. And he said, I, uh, I am God Almighty, which is El Shaddai. Yeah, so mighty God is, is El Gibor. And um, this is always translated mighty God, but it is um, the sense of the mighty is like this. It's mighty warrior. Uh, it's a bit different from Shaddai, which is almighty. Okay, so El is a common name for God, uh, as I said in El Shaddai. Um, so the impact of the name of El, El Gibor, in applying it to Jesus, the thing that really exercises the commentators uh, on this verse is, is the El bit. It's the fact that the Son who is given to us, um, the Messiah, is actually has the same name as God. This word El doesn't get used to mean anything other than someone who is divine. Um, so, for example, the, the commentator Charles, Charles Ellicott says, it's significant that the word for God is not Elohim, which may be used in a lower sense for those who are representatives of God, but El which is never used by Isaiah or any other Old Testament writer in any lower sense than that of absolute deity, and which, we may note, had been specially uh, brought before the prophet's thoughts in the name Emmanuel, God with us. This name, El Gibor, appears again as applied directly to Yahweh in Isaiah 10.21, um, which is just the next chapter, uh, undoubtedly, the same title, El Gibor, is given to God. Okay. So another commentary, which is known as the pulpit commentary, says that the word El for God denotes in Isaiah always divinity in an absolute sense. It is never used hyperbolically or metaphorically. So Jesus is God. And now I'm going to um, spend uh, just a few minutes concentrating on that simple fact. We take it as red, don't we, that Jesus is God. We don't kind of differentiate in a way between Jesus and God. We may differentiate uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we don't have a problem with Jesus is God. But people outside of Orthodox Christianity have a big problem with Jesus is God. And what separates Christianity and makes it unique from other faiths and even... Uh, sort of uh, Christian-type cults, is that, Je that we believe that Jesus is God. He wasn't just a good man. Uh, he wasn't a great leader only. 
but he, uh, he is actually the Son of God, and he is God himself. I want to actually look at a lot of scriptures that teach us that from the, uh, from the New Testament. I'm aware, though, that we can have information overload. I've got in my mind uh, an image of, of like a post and a nail. And if you imagine I've uh, got, a, got a nail and I want to put it into the post. And so I hammer repeatedly this nail. It might take 15, might take 20 blows. And at the end of it, where are all those hammer blows? Well, they're past. They're gone. We won't remember any of those. But the nail is still embedded in the post. So hopefully, <laughs> with that illustration in mind, I'm going to bombard you or hammer you <laughs> with a whole load of scriptures. Actually, since you did so well at reading them uh, earlier, let's all read them together. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look at a lot of scriptures that teach that Jesus is God. So then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Can I just actually, before we uh, continue there, point out that, that when Jesus was accused of all kinds of things um, when, when he was on trial, uh, he didn't defend himself. Pilate, it says, was actually amazed that all these people were bringing accusations and he didn't defend himself against them. And I think that was a, a fulfillment of what it says in Isaiah 53, I think it's verse 7, that says, like, as a, um, a sheep before its shearers is silent, he didn't open his mouth. Jesus didn't have the need to defend himself. But when he was charged with the question, are you the son of God? Then he testified. Okay, so from the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the cloud of heaven. Uh, I'm not going to read this one, but this is the, the equivalent passage in Mark where you'll see in the middle it says, when he's asked, are you the son of the blessed one? Jesus says, I am. Okay, this is now looking at John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the word. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's something Jesus said about himself. Now we're going to look at some of the ways in, in which he was received by the Jewish people at the time. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, 
It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's important because these verses are important because he was saying the bread comes down from heaven and then this is what Jesus says following that. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me, Jesus declaring he came from heaven. This is a a really shocking one. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Um, This is Philip says, uh, show us the Father, that'll be enough. And Jesus says, um, don't you know me? I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Now we're just going to look at things beyond the Gospels. And this is what the other New Testament writers said. This one's from Paul altogether. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Romans 9.5 Theirs are the patriarchs, And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised Amen. Who is God? He's talking about Jesus. Uh, This is a fantastic one in Philippians. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God Something to be used for his own advantage. Okay. I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to move fast forward. Last one then. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. You're getting the flavor now as the... uh, the nail gone fully into the post yet. I'll just read a, a couple here. Um, about the sun, uh, God says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. About the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Uh, quoting a, a psalm. And now here's a testimony from Peter, who spent a lot of time with Jesus. Um, and he says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. The last couple are from Revelation, where uh, John, the writer of Revelation, has a vision of Jesus. And Jesus says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead 
And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Look at that phrase, I am the first and the last. And if you go right to the end of Revelation now, it says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. So, it's fully home now that <laughs> Jesus is God, and we have no, no doubts about that. What about the other um, part of El Gibor, the Gibor bit? This is, a, uh, this is quite a widely used word in the Old Testament. And as I uh, suggested earlier, it actually is used to mean a mighty warrior. David's mighty men, if you've heard of them, he had three mighty men, and then another one who was kind of counted along with the three. And they, the same word, gibor, is used of them. Um, but I have difficulty, I think, in relating to God as a mighty warrior. I think we all do. We are not in a culture and a society where we are brought up to be warriors. And this is quite a foreign thing for us. Um, yes, there are some people who will join the army, but it, it's not compulsory, and it's assumed that most people probably are not going to do that. But it was different uh, in ancient Israel. I mean, there are many societies, there are societies today where that is the case, um, and it was even more true a couple of hundred years ago, where a society was, had a kind of warrior spirit. But Israel was birthed to be a, a nation of warriors. When they crossed the Red Sea and they sang a song afterwards, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and God caused the waters to come in over the Egyptian army and drown them all. And they sang a, a song which said, The Lord is a warrior. There was a song actually back in the 90s that a guy called Noel Richards wrote called Warrior. I don't know if I, I ever sang it, but I think it was very popular uh, at that time. Maybe difficult for us to relate to. The, the idea was quite natural for the Israelites at that time. You heard a few months ago that there was an incident where the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. And Moses went up on a hillside and he raised his arms, he raised them to God. And while he had his arms raised, then the Israelites were winning the battle. If he lowered them, then the Amalekites started winning the battle. And so his two companions kept his arms up until sun, sunset. They had this understanding that God was on their side. God was fighting their battles. Psalm 24 is very well known. Here's part of it. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. There are many, many more scriptures I could use to demonstrate the same thing. I'm going to just quote one from later in Isaiah where it says, the Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. God is mighty. 
God, God is our, our champion. Um, God is, if you like, our hero. And he fights our, our battles and he fights on our behalf. So what about Jesus as he appears in the New Testament? Does he come across to you as a, a mighty warrior? Yes? No? Yes and no, really, is <laughs> really the answer, isn't it? Um, Jesus, I think, was a man of peace. So he came into the world not to condemn it, but to save it. And when he, he sent his disciples out to, to go and preach and to heal people and uh, cast out demons and so on, he, he said to them, seek out a man of peace whose home you can stay in. If there's a house and it doesn't welcome you, let your peace return to you. He wasn't uh, out to act forcefully, although there was one occasion when he overturned the uh, tables of the money changers where he did use a bit of physical force. But for the most point, what was the weapon that he used was one of words, uh, and he spoke. He was a a fiery preacher, I think, in many ways. He spoke forcefully and he didn't pull his punches. Although he spoke a, a, a lot of comfort to people, he actually would, didn't hold back from criticising those that actually led other people astray. John the Baptist said of Jesus, the axe has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He was saying that one coming after him was greater than he was, and this is how he spoke of him. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Is that the Jesus you think of? <laughs> you might, might want to think about that. Jesus was the mighty champion. Jesus was the, the mighty warrior. But the weapons that he fought with were not the same weapons as, as used in worldly warfare. In Revelation, and we just mentioned it, uh, a short while ago, John had this vision of Jesus. And this is how it goes on to de describe Jesus. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. To me, I, I get all of, all of that uh, vision of Jesus, apart from the bit about the sword coming out of your mouth. <laughs> it's, does that seem bizarre to you, or is it just me? <laughs> you know, if somebody's going to fight a battle, you, a sword coming out your mouth is not really very useful, is it? Uh, you really want it in your hand to, to be able to do some damage. And, and yet this, this picture of Jesus is one of, of a sword coming out of his mouth. 
What do you think the sword stands for? Word. Maybe the sword of the Spirit, but definitely the Word of God. Yes. Uh, We find how he uses this sword later on in Revelation. So I haven't got a slide for it, so uh, I'm going to read this. I saw heavens standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. The rider is Jesus. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm going to spare you some of the gory details that carry on (laughs) after that, but he's fighting against the kings of the earth and their armies gathering together to, to wage war, it says, but the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. The weapons that we fight with are not the, uh, not the same as the weapons of, uh, of the world. And this is spoken of in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 5. Let's read this together. Okay, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What can we gain from all this? What have we looked at? Um, Because I need to draw things to a close now. So, number one, Jesus is mighty God. We have no doubt about that. We've demonstrated uh, in so many scriptures that, that Jesus is God. It would have been shocking, I think, for the uh, recipients of Isaiah's prophecy to receive that, the Son of God's divinity. Okay. Also, Jesus is our victorious champion. We are in a spiritual battle. We need to stand firm in the victory that Jesus has won. And lastly, know that God's power is active in you. That is another talk, or several talks altogether. But we stand firm in in our mighty God. Okay, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the revelation that you are mighty, you are powerful, you are the God that fights our battles. 
Lord, we thank you for the power that you've given us who believe. Lord, give us more revelation of who you are. More revelation of of you, the mighty God, the, the mighty champion, the one who will fight on our behalf. And Lord, we pray for a filling of your spirit. We pray that you would fill us more and more. Lord, you pray that you would fill us with power and fill us with wisdom, that we might, yeah, we might act in, in the ways, act in obedience. And Lord, to, to be led by your spirit. Amen. Thank you, God.